Good morning. How's everyone? Good? You know, this morning at the 7.30 service, there was a young man who's about to go to Sam Houston University, which is down there in Huntsville, and he's studying criminal law, I think, and he's going to be a Texas Ranger. And he came in this morning looking like a Texas Ranger. He had his blue jeans on and his boots, and he had a hat on that looked like a Ranger's hat. Looked just, you know what a Texas Ranger is? Yeah, he looked just like a Texas Ranger. He's, he's getting ready to, 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 to become who he wants to be, right? And maybe who God wants him to be. You know, a lot of people wear hats to kind of help them help people identify who they are. But back in the day, people wore hoods. Anybody wear a hood? Today they wear hoods with jackets and you put it over your head, right? But in those days, if you, if you graduated from college and got a degree, you would have a red hood or a, a, a purple hood or a green hood. A doctor would have one color, color hood. A lawyer might have a different color hood. Uh, a doctor, did I say doctor? A minister might have a different color hood. So all these different colors, whatever color you had showed that you had graduated and had become um, proficient uh, in, in what you were supposed to do, right? Right? So all these different color hoods. Now, every now and then, someone would put on a hood and they didn't go to school and they had a hood that was a false hood. That's where that word comes from. A false hood, it means something that's not true. And, 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 and they, would, they would pretend to be a doctor or pretend to be a minister and they really weren't because they didn't, they didn't go to school and, and do the things they needed to do to make that happen. So a falsehood, when that person put something on that was not true, helps us to understand what a falsehood is. Has, have any of you ever told something that's not true, ever? Ever? Have any of you ever told a fib? Huh? A lie? What, how do you know it? Something that's not true? You ever told your mommy and daddy something that's not true? Like, did you eat that candy? No, I didn't eat it. But you really did? Hmm? Gabriel did. He did. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we, have, we have to train ourselves. We have to learn not to tell a lie, not to tell a fib. It, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a whole lot of practice to, to, to be able to be a good, a good boy, a good girl, or a good Christian. It takes a lot of practice. So we have to train ourselves not to tell lies. If you want your mommy and daddy to trust you, you tell them the truth. If they ask you if you had a cookie and you weren't supposed to have a cookie and you really did have a cookie, you say, yes, I'm sorry, I had a cookie. You tell them the truth. Don't tell a lie. Yeah, you too. Don't you ever tell a lie, Gabriel. Right? Yeah. So if you want to practice, if you want to practice being good and doing what God wants you to do, it's a hard thing because it's so easy to tell a lie. But if you want to practice and practice and practice, and, and somebody asks you something and you know it's not true, you say, yes, I'm sorry, I did it. I'm sorry, I'll try not to do it again. That's what we do, okay? It's not easy to do that, but you can do it. I know you can do it. You can practice and practice and practice not telling lies, okay? So... Remember, when you get home and you did something, your mom or daddy asked you, did you do something? What are you going to tell them, a lie or truth? 
the truth, right? You tell them the truth? You sure? <laughs> I'm going to ask your mommy and daddy next week. And I know your mommy and daddy. <laughs> All right. All right. I like your red mask. Hey, you're welcome. All right. You, who, if you want to go to Children's Chapel, you can follow Miss Music that way. And, uh, and then they'll bring you back in time for communion. And if you want to stay in here with your parents or grandparents, you can grab a packet and, and go sit down with your parents. Thank you. You want to go to, you want to get a packet so you can color? Eden, go get a packet real quick, sweet. Hurry, go get one. Eden, Eden, they're over there. So most of you know that last week I was gone and we had gone with some of my grandkids and to, to North Carolina for their golf tournament at Pinehurst and had a great time. It was unfortunately just as hot there as it was here and is here. Uh, we were hoping for cooler weather, but we didn't get it. Now I get back and I see this uh, email from one of our parishioners. He was at the 845 service actually running the video booth. His name is Guy Williams. He wrote me an email and he said, this was surreal. He said, yesterday I was traveling on Luetta and I got behind an ambulance, just this street right here, going by the church. And I got behind an ambulance. And he said, oddly, I noticed a small metal box sitting on the back bumper of the ambul ambulance. And when the ambulance turned the corner, he said, the box flew off and landed on the curb. He said, I thought it's time for me to be a good Samaritan. So he pulled over, he said, and he retrieved it. And he opened it, and there was this human toe packed on a bag of ice. I thought, man, I'd hate to see that. And he said, well, this has got to be a mistake. So he called the hospital, the closest one where the ambulance was going. And they said, yes, the ambulance just arrived. Uh, minus the box and guy said he said I gave them my location and I asked if they were going to send another ambulance to come and collect this box and the lady replied no we're just going to send a tow truck <laughs> he had me going really as I was reading the email I really thought that that was And then there was this woman who rushes to see her doctor uh, looking very much worried and all strung out. And she rattles off, doctor, take a look at me. When I woke up this morning, I looked at myself in the mirror and, my, and I saw my hair was all wiry and frizzled up and I, my skin, it was all wrinkled and, 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 and pasty. My eyes, they were bloodshot and, and bugging out. And I had this corpse-like look on my face. What's wrong with me, doctor? And the doctor looks over her for a couple of minutes and calmly says, well, I, I can tell you one thing for sure. There is nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> Was that mean? I'm sorry. Was that mean? <laughs> <laughs> to whom? I wasn't speaking to anyone in here about that. The Apostle Paul had been given this God 
God-given task of building and growing the church in the very beginning years, at a time when being converted to the Christian faith meant monumental changes in a person's life. And hopefully being converted still means a monumental change in a person's life. But this whole concept of Christianity back then was something brand new to the world. Jesus had come and lived and died, resurrected and was ascended into heaven and Christianity began. The Holy Spirit came upon the church brand new to the world. And every Gentile believer and every non-Jewish believer, they found it very difficult to uh, remember a time when they had not worshipped pagan gods because all these other cultures had all these other gods. And so this was brand new, and Paul had to deal with all of that. I'm sure you know from your own experience that it can be very difficult to make drastic changes in one's life. I know for me, it's very difficult. If I want to quit eating so much, I can do it for a day or two, but then I get back to eating too much. So it's easy to slip back into old habits. Well, that's what happened to the church in Ephesus, to the believers, the Christians in the church in Ephesus. And that's why Paul's encouragement, which is found in our epistle reading, our second New Testament reading today, why it was so important for these Ephesians. Paul says many helpful things in his letter to these troubled Ephesians, many good things about what a Christian life should really be like. And he sums up all that he's been saying when he writes, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and pay attention to these last three words, live in love. Be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. But before he says those three most important words, he makes some very practical suggestions on what this love does and does not look like. This letter warns the Christians in Ephesians and it warns us today against allowing room for the devil. Most of us know that the devil doesn't need much room at all to worm his way into our lives. Little cracks in our conscience, small, um, small moments of indecision in our faith can give evil an entranceway into our soul. For this reason, Paul sternly cautions us to guard against five certain behaviors, never allowing them to gain a foothold in the practice of the Christian life. And in today's reading, he says, and you can follow along in your, in your uh, bulletin insert or in the Bible in front of you, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Paul says, love is not lying. It is speaking the truth to another. Paul says, love is not nursing anger. It is getting over the anger quickly. Paul says, it is not stealing from others. It is earning an honest living and using your extra, the extra that you earn to give to the needy. Paul says, love is not being mean and bitter toward another person. It is being kind and gentle and forgiving. And love is above all else, Paul says, doing unto others as God has done unto us through Jesus Christ, loving one another in a sacrificial manner. 
So let's go over these one by one. We, we just talked about falsehood with the kids. So the first behavior he writes about is lying. He says that we Christians, we need to put away this kind of falsehood in our lives. In other words, being converted to Christianity meant that lying to one another was completely out of the question. Truth-telling was a, a badge or, or a pledge of Christian discipleship. And we still need to hear that today. Lying is one of those things that never, ever goes out of style. Now, Paul Harvey told a cute story of four high school boys who were late to their morning class one day. And they entered the classroom and they solemnly, solemnly told their teacher that they were tardy because they had a flat tire, these four high school boys. And the teacher was sympathetic and she smiled. She told them that it was too bad they were late because they had missed a test that morning, but she was willing to let them make it up. And she gave them each a piece of paper and a pencil and she sent them to the four corners of the room. And she told them they, they would pass the test if they could answer just one question. Which tire was flat? <laughs> you get caught lying. Mark Twain once wrote, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. Our lesson from Ephesians sees lying as one of the church's most dangerous loopholes because we are members of one another. We are united to one another. As a unified body of Christ, to lie to one another is to lie to Christ, is to lie to Jesus. The second behavior is anger. The letter reads, be angry, be angry, but do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, of the de seven deadly sins, anger is probably the most fun and also the most deadly, the most damaging to your soul. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, that's anger, and it will damage you. The chief drawback is that what you or I, what we are wolfing down in our anger is always ourselves. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say never be angry. He says be angry but do not sin because we should never forget that there is such a thing as justifiable anger, as righteous indignation. In fact, St. John Chrysostom taught many, many years ago that he who is not angry when he has a cause to be angry, sins. But then Ephesians adds a warning that our cooling off period should not be lengthy. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger makes us feel powerful. Anger exhilarates us. Folks, we've got to close this loophole for evil. It doesn't do us any good, and believe me, it makes the person with whom we are angry wallow in the fact that you are miserable. As someone once said, never wrestle with a pig. You both get all dirty and the pig likes it. The third behavior is greed. 
Consumer culture programs us to believe that more is always better. In other words, enough is never enough. There are monkey trappers in North Africa who have this clever method of catching the prey. A, a, a number of gourds are filled with nuts and firmly fastened to a branch of a tree. And each gourd has a hole in it just large enough for the monkey to stick its forepaw into the hole. And when the hungry animal discovers this, he quickly grabs a handful of those nuts inside the gourd, but the hole is too small for him to withdraw his clenched fist. And he doesn't have enough sense to open up his hand to let go in order to escape, and so he's easily taken into captivity. And this is a picture of many Christians. The devil with his crafty devices tries to ensnare us. He appeals to the appetites of our flesh, which can lead to our spiritual downfall. And as long as we hold on to the worldly bait, we cannot, we cannot escape from his trap. But the devil keeps on urging us, don't let go. Don't let go. Enjoy the pleasure of your sin just a little bit longer. Just a little longer. Listening to the tempter's alluring voice, we continue in our evil ways, preventing us from growing in God's grace. Recognize the truth about the compulsive greediness that marks our lives and realize that it only brings exhaustion and emptiness. The fourth behavior is loose lips. There's a story told about three pastors who went fishing together in the northern wilderness of Canada. And while they were there, they became quite cordial with one another. They began to talk about their innermost thoughts. And one of the pastors confessed that he had been guilty of certain sins. He named them. And then he urged the other two to confess their sins, their weaknesses. The second pastor confessed his sin, his certain weaknesses, began to tell them, the other two pastors, about his sin in detail. The third pastor remained silent for a long time. And finally, when pressed by his fellow pastors to reveal his weaknesses, he said, brothers, I don't think you're going to want to know about my weaknesses, but since, you, since you've asked, I'm going to tell you. He says, I just love to gossip, and I can't wait till I get back to town. The first person to ever recite that phrase, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you, was probably off by him or herself crying in some dark closet. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my heart. If words weren't capable of hurting us more deeply and more permanently than any weapon of metal or wood, then there would be a whole lot of therapists out there looking for a job. Christians must close this loophole excuse, quit thinking to themselves, it's just talk, that's all it is. Because once that talk escapes from our lips, the words, they take on a life of their own. A flapping mouth is one of the devil's favorite loopholes. And I find it interesting that the term in verse 27 where it talks about making no room for the devil. The Greek word for the devil there is diabolos, which is also used to define the word slanderer, 
the word whisperer, the, the word false accuser, the word backbiter. These are all devilish expressions of evil talk and they work to undermine the basic foundations of Christian community. Hurtful speech tears down and destroys love and trust. In fact, you might as well just use a sledgehammer, beat the heck out of the person that, that you're gossiping about. It would be just as effective. Before you repeat something about someone, ask yourself this question, is it true? Is it fair? Is it necessary? And if it's not, forget about it. And finally, the fifth behavior is stinginess of spirit. There's a frank and earnest cartoon which depicts these two buddies sitting on a park bench next to a gentleman who's reading the newspaper. And as, as is usually the case, frank and earnest are a bit inebriated and Frank says to the stranger, he said, long ago I decided that my life would be a success if I could just make one person happy. And I picked me. Sad. A lot of us do that. A stingy spirit used to be commonly referred to as a mean spirit. It's not a meanness that denotes cruelty or abusiveness. A mean spirit takes no joy in the presence of others. A mean spirit cannot see beyond the drive to satisfy one's own needs and desires. A mean spirit hoards away happiness. A mean spirit is concerned only with keeping itself going day by day with no time or compassion for the welfare of others. A mean spirit may do no apparent wrong, but neither does it do any spontaneous right. A stingy, mean spirit refuses to glory in the embarrassing abundance of the riches that God has lavished upon us. Such a diet eventually starves the capacity for grace and empathy and forgiveness just right out of the body. So, dear people of God, as St. Paul demands, of the people church in Ephesus and as he demands of the people here at St. Timothy's and in the church as a whole, do not give the devil a foothold. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit, but let us be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgives us. So what are the loopholes that we need to close in our lives today? You know, I guarantee you that if you and I and everyone else in the world discover that all we had was five minutes left in this world to live, to say all that we wanted to say, just five more minutes, every cell phone in the world would be occupied with people calling other people, stammering to tell them that they love them. Here's my question to you today. Why wait until that last five minutes? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.